Hey there, friends. I hope you're well. Welcome to episode two of the eighth Juror Podcast. I'm your host, Ken Wiggins. Today, I want to talk about magic. Well, not what you likely immediately think of when thinking of magic, not the acts of a magician, although those could be part of it. It's not the Harry Potter kind either. Well, that's actually wizarding, which I know is different. No, I want to talk about the magic of the spectacle. The magical experience of being present and witness to something remarkable. Sure, it could be as simple as an illusionist pulling a rabbit out of a hat, but I'm talking of something bigger. I'm talking about the kind of magic that leaves you in awe, makes you not believe your senses and question your perception of reality, the kind that changes your perspective and makes you reconsider possibilities. Wonder and joy washes over you, igniting something within you. To be witness can be inspiring, motivating, encouraging, generally uplifting. It could be seeing unbelievable talent on display in sport, tasting a meal prepared by a Michelin star accredited chef, or hearing a virtuoso musician play. Any of those experiences can leave you feeling as though you witnessed magic, maybe as though you witnessed a miracle. Don't you agree this can have an effect on a person? It does something profound, I believe. It can positively energize you. It brings you closer to your best self, doesn't it? It shines light against the darkness, the darkness of the pain, struggle, and possibly even despair of life. Even if you're fortunate enough to experience very little darkness, the magic still elevates you out of neutral, generates excitement to interrupt the mundane monotony of the Groundhog Day grind. We need the magic to keep life enjoyable and feeling meaningful. Without the magic, the darkness can be allowed to grow until we feel there is no light, leaving us feeling hopeless. We need the magic to bring about the positive energy. We need the magic to fill us with joy, wonderment, and most importantly, hope. Hope for better and brighter. Hope to counteract the endless stream of reasons to succumb to hopelessness. When I think of the magic, I think of when I witnessed Sidney Crosby net the 2010 Olympic gold medal winning goal in overtime for Canada. I recall watching Marshawn Lynch break nine tackles to run 67 yards in the 2010 NFC wildcard game to elicit the Beastquake. I reminisce about being present at Toronto Sarsdok in 2003 with half a million other folks to take in the wonder of hearing icons energize the largest Canadian concert crowd ever. Those are just a few of the moments that come to mind for me when I think of magic I've been mesmerized by. As you can imagine, I was charged up after those experiences. It was a feeling of pure elation, as though anything is possible. Have you ever felt this way yourself? Wasn't the high inspirational? Hopefully you were able to ride it a good long while. Hopefully you were able to get another hit before too long. Keeping you charged up and feeling positive. I imagine how much more powerful it would have been if I had been present at the first mentioned events. It was electrifying on TV at a bar and a party. But to have been in those buildings must have been something else entirely. It's a must-have type of experience in life. Right now, today, I can't think of anything more magical than the Taylor Swift effect as displayed in our reaction to the Eras Tour. Taylor has a great many of us completely captivated. She's an absolute icon. She has to be one of the most iconic figures of my lifetime, without a doubt. Her impact is monumental. I won't drove on about all the many reasons why, though. There's plenty of outlets providing an abundance of supporting information although we'll unfortunately remain more distracted and focused on our relationship with Travis Kelsey. No, instead, 
I will focus on how magical she is in analyzing just how much her audience wants to witness her spectacle. The demand for Taylor Swift is virtually indescribable. The people are absolutely enthralled and are all but trampling each other for the opportunity to experience the magic. Not only does she regularly break the internet every time her tickets go on sale, she even breaks the internet for the ticket sales to the film of the show. Her Eras tour has the fan base in a frenzy. Ask any Swifty and they'll tell you this is a must-see show, a once-in-a-lifetime experience, not to be missed, even if you have to be outside the walls of the nearest show. With this much hype, it's no wonder getting tickets is seemingly impossible. If you didn't try to get the tickets, let me break down the typical experience. If you have already had this experience, my apologies for bringing up some negative emotions. To get tickets to a Taylor Swift concert on the Eras Tour, at face value, is pretty much a miraculous feat. It's honestly seemingly next to impossible. It's apparently approximately a 2% chance of being able to secure a face value ticket to see Taylor Swift on her current tour. Those are some awful odds at 1 in 50. I think those odds might actually be inflated too. Spend a little time on Swift Talk and you'll be nearly convinced no one was able to get face value tickets because it was hopeless. If the odds are indeed actually the odds though, not only are they depressing, but the requirements set in place to even have them are quite taxing. You have to be on top of your game. First, you need to know what shows you want to enter the lottery for. Then, you need to pay attention to when the small window to register for verified fan status will be open, and you cannot miss it. Better be ready when it comes to, just in case the site crashes. Don't dilly-dally. Make sure your name gets in that hat. Now, after registering for an opportunity to be eligible to buy a regular price ticket, you wait weeks to find out your fate. The day before tickets are to go on sale, you anxiously refresh your email to see if you are one of the lucky few to get a code or whether you'll be waitlisted. Like 98% of registrants, you were likely not chosen to be bestowed with a code. So, you scramble to find another way in, but are completely locked out. You watch the tickets disappear in a few short moments and feel the rush of disappointment overcome you. Maybe there's a shred of acceptance there as you justify to yourself the tickets went to more deserving fans and it wasn't in the cards for you this time but you quickly change your tune when you start to see the secondary market flooded with tickets for sale. Tickets that only moments ago, you, a true but not verified fan, could not obtain. Now, up for sale at prices upwards of a 3,000% markup. How could it be? Only verified fans got codes to buy the tickets, right? Well, obviously not. In fact, you find out even many who did get a code still didn't secure a seat at the show. There's tons of tickets available, but nowhere near in price to what you were willing to pay. You're left frustrated, feeling defeated, and obviously saddened by the predicament you find yourself in. You know it's an unmissable event, but you are having a hard time justifying the astronomical cost, especially when considering the ugly nature of the situation. It's the worst kind of capitalism, the kind where a product or good produced by one party, in this case Taylor Swift, is captured by another party, the scalper, and resold at a markup with no value added. An absurd markup, I might add. I can't stand it. I'm all for capitalism, but done in a more conscious fashion. What a shameful way to turn a buck. To insert oneself in between the entrepreneur and the customer for the sole purpose of essentially stealing from both. I get it, it's part of capitalism, whether we like it or not. Doesn't mean I'll ever grow to accept it, though. Are these scalpers not able to produce anything of value for the market? Could they not find a more noble means to capitalize? 
Their profit comes solely by abusing the market, inserting themselves where they are not welcome, do not belong, and are certainly not needed. Their racket benefits only them and the platforms supporting them. Everyone else is victim to their hold over a piece of the market. Don't you find it kind of disgusting? I know I do. Allow me to elaborate a little. I find it disgusting because of the stories I imagine come as a result of this unfortunate style of profiteering. Stories some of you might know well yourself. If they are not representative of your experience, count yourself fortunate. And if you are fortunate enough to not have these as your experiences, try for a moment to imagine they are yours, so you can know what it feels like to be in the position. Stop and think of what it might be like to be walking a mile in these shoes. Imagine you're entering the workforce with your freshly minted and freshly printed degree. You're racked with student debt, having a hard time finding a well-paying job in your field, and don't see any way in which you could ever afford to pay off your student loan, let alone buy a home someday. You're told you need to cut back on the lattes and avocado toast to make some financial sacrifices to get ahead and attain financial stability and security. You don't feel like you're able to make any more sacrifices, though. And the cafe treats are the little bits of magic you have in your life. When the future seems so dark and you have a hard time holding faith for a brighter day, you indulge a little to bring a little joy in your life to get through. The first sip can really feel like a beautiful escape. You know it's not the best idea to get the overpriced indulgence, but you want to get a hit of bliss and you also know it won't make a big difference in the grand scheme anyway. The hill you have to climb is all but insurmountable, isn't it? Plus, the whole world is likely coming to an end anyway, right? So why can't you just enjoy your little brunch in peace? I feel you. If this is your experience, you might get excited at the prospect of taking your first big trip with just friends to Vegas. You recently heard Adele is going to be starting a residency and you're dying to hear her live. You round up your friends and get to some preliminary planning before tickets go on sale. With your very limited budget, you find red-eye flights on a discount airline a cheap hotel off the strip, and plan to eat mostly fast food on the go rather than sit down for too many high-end meals. All you're really going for is to see Adele in all her glory. All of your friends signed up for verified fan status and you're just waiting for the codes to come in so you can snap up tickets. One problem though, the codes never come. Every show sells out on the primary market before you even get a chance to see the original prices. Still determined to go, you check secondary markets. There you seem to find an unlimited amount of tickets for sale. But they're all selling between four dollars and $30,000 each. That's no exaggeration, I assure you. Of course you can't justify spending that kind of money. The whole trip was budgeted out to be less than half the price of a single ticket. Might as well call the whole thing off and go pick up the pumpkin spice latte that's the reason you apparently aren't able to partake in the markets. At least it'll put a little smile on your face for a few moments while you're being looked at as financially irresponsible. Here's another. You're a blue-collar working father of two young daughters. Life is sufficiently comfortable as you're able to provide a safe and loving home with your partner bringing home an income as well. Your home might be modest, your kids could be in extracurriculars, and maybe you have some savings for the future. Somewhere in the average. It's a good life, but there's little room for much extravagance. A concert once in a while isn't too extravagant though, right? At least it shouldn't be anyway. So. When your daughters are completely and utterly desperate to go to the Taylor Swift show, you want to oblige them. You know just how amazing an influence Taylor is. You're glad your daughters look up to such a strong and independent woman with a beautiful overall message of love and acceptance. In a world where you worry about your daughter's prospects, you're thankful for the light and inspiration provided by Taylor. 
The joy and positive energy her music brings to your girls gives you hope they will lead a happy and fulfilled life. Of course you want them to go to the concert. Of course you would do just about anything to ensure they have the experience. You're a good dad, and you would hate to let your girls down. You can't imagine being responsible for the disappointment of them not being able to go. Like we already know, though, it was next to impossible to get tickets at face value, and as a result, it's pretty safe to assume you didn't get your hands on any. Now, you have a dilemma. Finding the least expensive tickets on the secondary markets to be around $1,500, you have to weigh your decision carefully. The $1,500 tickets are not even remotely good. Sure, you'll get in the building, but $1,500 per ticket to sit in the nosebleeds behind the stage with an obscured view? You gotta be kidding me. If you wanted to take the whole family, it's essentially the median mortgage payment per ticket for seats everyone in the family will be disappointed with whether they admit it or not. They still want you to feel like the hero after all because you are to them. An impossible decision. Buy the tickets and take the irresponsible massive financial hit or tell your daughters you can't be the hero this time. If you chose the latter, I'm sure it would leave an emotional wound on you. What a blow it would be to feel as though you stood in the way of your children's joy and happiness. You know there's more to the story and it's obviously not your fault, but it won't make you feel any better. Your kids don't quite understand. All you want is to give them every chance, to provide for a full life of opportunity with as few barriers as possible. What a shame it's so unfair. How about just one more? Let's use a sports example for the framework of the next story. Let's imagine ourselves as a single mother, raising a son in an inner city, working two and sometimes three jobs to make ends meet, while hoping your son has enough positive influence to stay on the right path. You're thankful he's taken an interest in football and seems to be excelling at it. The coaches are helping him to become a disciplined, respectful, and responsible young man. You worry about the potential of injury, but hope for the best and know your boy feels it's worth the risk, even though he mostly just thinks he's invincible. You'd certainly prefer he feel invincible playing the game of football rather than running game in the streets. Of course, you would never want to step in the way of something he loves either, so you pray he never experiences any severe injuries and hold faith he'll never face the consequences of a traumatic brain injury. It brings you great joy to see your son flourish. You take pride in his accomplishments and feel as though he is destined for a beautiful life, in no small part to his love and dedication to the game he loves. Being as he's obsessed with the sport and dreaming of greatness in the pros, you want to take him to see his favorite player play live and in person. You want him to feel the roar of the crowd and envision himself on the field being the reason for it. You want to provide a glimpse into what is possible through sacrifice, hard work, and determination. You want him to know anything is possible. You know your son would leave the game filled to the brim with positive energy and motivation from beholding the magic of phenomenal talent on display. With all this in mind, you jump online to grab some tickets to see the Kansas City Chiefs when they come to town. What an amazing experience it would be to see the magnificence of Patrick's unique talent in person. With an entire arsenal of plays to leave you in disbelief, what better way to inspire your son than to see what's possible through Mahomes? Now, if you can manage to get enough time off work from your many jobs to take your son, are you able to afford the new cost of admission? Not the face value price, of course. No, the marked up price by someone who is holding the tickets ransom to extract as much as they possibly can out of them. Will this break the bank? Will you be able to afford your utilities and groceries by making the decision to pay the price? Are there even any more hours in the week to pick shifts up on to try and make back what it will cost to go? Or... Will your son just end up watching it alone at home on his phone while you work your employer's mandatory overtime? 
These are just some of the stories I think of when I myself get frustrated at the situation from my privileged position. If I often feel as though I am unable to partake in the market, I imagine how much more difficult it would be for those with less fortune. I want the young adventurer to have the ability to experience amazement in life before committing to a lifetime of work with little promise of future prosperity. I want parents to be able to afford to have their children experience and be inspired by magic. I want those children to feel as though anything is possible and for them to have as many moments of reinforcing this belief as they can. I could wish for nothing more than for them to get as close to experiencing their hero's magic so they can be as charged as possible. How much better would the world be with maintaining optimism? I want this not just for the children and parents, though. It's easy to use them as examples. In a world of encroaching darkness, we all could use more magic to brighten our lives and lift our spirits. I want a world where there are no unfair and unnecessary obstacles to accessing the magic. Even though we're only on the topic of magic right now, it's worth taking the opportunity to mention I feel this way in general, not just in regards to these barriers in this context. I would love nothing more than a world void of unfair and unnecessary constraints. I'm sure this will be even more evident as it is supported in future episodes of the podcast. For now, let's stick to focusing on the topic of this episode, though. Let's begin with where it all starts to go wrong, with the monopolizer of the primary market, abusing it, and weaponizing their incompetence. Please Google weaponize incompetence if this is a new term for you. If you are familiar with the concept, you might think I'm being a bit dramatic. Possibly. But give me a minute to elaborate. Let's start with just a few statistics. 80% of primary ticket sales to significant events have been controlled by Ticketmaster, a subsidiary of Live Nation, since 1995. Nearly 30 years of strangling the market. They sell 500 million tickets a year, which is equivalent to 18 transactions every second. Their market cap sits at $22 billion, with $12.3 billion in revenue in 2022. Not bad for a quick recovery following COVID live event lockdowns. Makes sense though, doesn't it? We were starved for some positive magical energy after being locked inside for so long. We were ravenous to get back to living. And Live Nation had just the ticket. Including Ticketmaster, Live Nation has 478 subsidiary companies across the globe, with 223 in the US alone. Starting to sound like a monopoly yet to you? If not, no, it's been spoken about in Congress, but of course there's been minimal action taken. That tends to be the case when millions are spent on campaign contributions and lobbying. With all this context in mind, I don't think it's a stretch to accept Live Nation holds a monopoly over the market. And when you hold a monopoly, there's by definition little to no competition. When there's no competition, there's no motivation to compete. There's no need to try and win. You already won. Why innovate? Why change? Why try? You have no reason to, unless, of course, you're compelled. All of those are costly endeavors in a business designed purely to capitalize on the market. When they then have capitalized the market, the only reason to spend capital is when it is mandated. But if you play a little game of cat and mouse, here's where I think I see the weaponized incompetence. If Live Nation can do the bare minimum to show effort and progress is made towards the most upsetting aspects of the platform, they can avoid government intervention by demonstrating good faith. They then can claim all reasonable effort was put forth to solve the problems with the system while making sure to minimize expenditures and focus on maintaining profits. Since there's no competition, the bar is only moved by Live Nation, and they can essentially move it as slowly as they like while profits pour in. 
No one has come along to raise the bar and provide a reason for Live Nation to actually make the effort we deserve as users and customers. They can say they're trying, but I don't think they're trying hard enough. I'm sure there's more they can do. I have some ideas. I'm sure they do too. They just rather keep the stock price as high as possible. As a result of any possible up-and-coming competition inevitably being gobbled up by Live Nation before they gain any footing on the market, we, the customer, must endure this first layer of frustrating unfairness any time we try to get a ticket to the show. If the show was a Taylor Swift concert on the Eras Tour, chances are pretty high you'd then have to deal with the next level of unfairness in the secondary market. Buying tickets at a jacked-up price from a scalper looking to turn a quick buck off of you, while kicking a percentage to the broker who then also digs into your pocket because they hold what you value hostage, the golden ticket. When Live Nation owns somewhere between 15-20% to of the secondary market, they're again even more incentivized to not implement solutions to the issues in the primary market. They stand to increase their overall profits by allowing tickets to end up on the secondary market. They're in cahoots with the scalpers, essentially. The secondary market is projected to make $12 billion in profit this year. They're nearly as profitable as the primary market by putting the majority of the service cost on the ticket buyer. The average service cost of a secondary market platform is 10% to the seller and 20% to the buyer. Again, just so unfair. We're already paying a jacked up price to the seller. Now we have to also pay the platform the higher amount because they brokered the transaction. A transaction we would rather completely avoid at all costs. You know, we'd much rather just get our tickets straight from the original source, not have to pay what amounts to yet another tax. More tax on the average person paid to those holding the magic as hostage, profiting by making life more difficult and unfair to others, pushing people out of the market and dimming the light in their lives. Noble business model you got there. I think it's clear how I feel about it. Wasn't scalping once illegal? Back when it was performed on the street outside the event with physical tickets? Why is it legal to scalp tickets today? Because there's so much profit to be made? Shouldn't it be illegal? Especially in today's world? When scalping can become an exceptionally profitable endeavor from the comfort of your remote home workstation, it becomes too easy for the activity to occur. When scalping was done on the street, the risk was higher for the scalper. They had to be just out of sight, just down the road from the venue, and hope someone willing to buy happened to walk past them before the event started. They would haggle with one potential buyer and take a settled-upon price with no real knowledge of the amount they may have extracted from another customer who hasn't yet come down the street. Scalping used to be more of a gamble. Sometimes, they wouldn't unload their tickets, and it served as another check and balance against the activity growing too wildly. They were rolling the dice. Now, it's pretty much a science. Scalpers know in advance which shows are the most desirable. They've spent substantial amounts on the primary market, likely making them super users with loyalty advantages to make ticket buying easier. The secondary markets recommend prices based on the established new market demand. Scalpers can put the tickets up on the market even before they have them in hand. With a simple Google search, their tickets are made visible to anyone and everyone, bringing many more potential customers into what was once their side street alley, their territory when competing against other scalpers in the shadows. Now, scalping has become democratized. The secondary markets reduce the competition among scalpers, unionizing them in a way, giving them a platform to work together to make the practice more profitable and more rampant, all at our expense. During a time when our dollar doesn't seem to go quite as far in general, 
It sure is shameful to have to pay through the nose to see some magic. The gatekeeper of said magic, Live Nation, has dominated the market for so long and stamped out any attempts at genuine competition along the way. Without any competition, they hold the tickets to all the biggest spectacles. They make the rules, we follow them. They charge a price, we pay it. They claim of operating in good faith, we believe it. With nothing to keep them in check though, no competitive alternatives and legislation skirted and out of focus once more, there's no incentive to make change. Change is hard, costly, and unpleasant. Change requires some turnover. Positions of power might be removed. It's much easier to just keep winning the rigged game and collecting the profits until the wheels fall off. Held power is rarely forfeited. With no competition on the horizon and relatively smooth sailing after some bad press, Live Nation can keep to business as usual. Small, negligible improvement to the service being rendered, and record profits in no small part to Taylor Swift selling out every single stop, without fail, on her massive tour. It's pretty clear we're in for the status quo going forward. The structure is in place and difficult to penetrate. Even if a noble entrepreneur could bring a new system into existence, the power is so concentrated it would be all but impossible to mount competition. A real modern-day David and Goliath type of battle. Although, today's Goliaths are much more insulated and powerful than in the original version. They are firmly established and virtually impossible to unseat. I don't sound too hopeful, do I? Well, I'm not. At least not through this avenue, anyway. I have some other ideas, though. Until more competition can come into existence and the market rebalance with genuine free market capitalism, we could try another approach. An approach where we use our collective power as consumers to influence the market. We are all aggrieved by the situation, but, individually, our complaints fall on deaf ears. There's little power in an individual voice. A collection of voices spoken in sync, however. Now that holds power. So, what am I proposing we say with our collective voice? I propose we start by saying we're not paying secondary market prices. And what should we use as our voice? Well, since we want free and fair market capitalism, we use our dollar. That's the beauty of the free market. Your dollar is a voice. It's a vote. You use your dollar to cast a vote at the worth. I think most of us are aligned we're generally willing to agree to the value assessed on the primary market. For now, anyway. Maybe a conversation for another day. We can save the topic. Change has to happen in steps. So... If we can agree for now on tickets at face value being fair, we can use our dollar to vote to pay no higher of a price. If none of us, or at least most of us, don't pay the secondary market prices, the market can be dried up. Scalpers who don't sell tickets at a profit will stop scalping. If we won't pay the price, they have no reason to charge it. I know, I know, you have to see the errors to her. You'd sell a kidney to get through the door. I get it. It's unmissable and feels like a once-in-a-lifetime magical spectacle. I'm sure you're right, it probably is. So, I don't expect you to necessarily take my suggestion in this case. It's understandable. What I will say, though, is that just as we have no choice on the market right now, neither does Taylor. It's abundantly clear she is disenchanted with the current system as well. If we want to see Taylor, which we clearly do, then she has to sell tickets. And only one provider can do it for her. Maybe, just maybe, if we left all those seats on the secondary market empty because we refused to pay secondary market markup, the scalping would slow, if not stop, 
and perhaps Live Nation would in turn put greater emphasis into upgrading their service to meet the demands of the market. I think if we spoke in this way, voicing a vote with our dollar, by withholding it, we could elicit change. The type of change Taylor herself preaches. I like to believe Taylor is just as great as she seems. I like to believe she's as capital G good a person as she comes across. How could she not be though? She's shown her conviction of progress and faced consequences we couldn't even bear to imagine. So, if she's not satisfied with the situation, and neither are we, would it not be probable Taylor herself might support the movement? It must be amazing to play shows to an electric atmosphere in front of a sellout stadium crowd. But, I'd bet she'd put on a hell of a show for a reduced crowd and be sure to come back through town when the markets were more balanced. I'm quite confident... Taylor barely wants to have you charge the face value of the tickets to begin with, let alone have someone resell a ticket to her show to make 3,000% profit. Why should anybody make this much profit off of her show? She should be able to choose who intervenes in her business, rather than just have it happen because it can't be stopped. Seems pretty reasonable to me. As Taylor's fans, you are her customer. Her music is her product, and there should be as few unnecessary walls between the product and the customer as possible. I'm sure Taylor would love to shed a few of the leeches making an unwelcome profit off of her product. Wouldn't you think? If you can't resist seeing Taylor, it would be understandable. It's a lot to ask. Even just having the conversation might kickstart some change, though. So, do you want to think and talk about it? It's just thought exploration. More elegant ideas might come about. Or we might decide we're okay with how it is as it stands. I doubt it will be the latter, though. Things don't change unless influence to change, and I think we all want some change. Ask someone else what they think. One more thing to address on this matter. I'll tell a personal story, though, to convey a concept without passing judgment. Back in 2013, when my wife and I were living in Toronto for school, the third-generation Xbox was coming out one month before Christmas. I really wanted to get one to be able to slip away in a gaming when I wanted a study break. My wife would tell you there was more break than study going on already though. Regardless, during those breaks, I wanted to have a virtual escape. Of course, I wanted the newest and best, and I wanted it as soon as it was available. One problem. I'm a student, working part-time, and have little room for discretionary spending in my budget. No problem though. I could buy two Xboxes. They always sell out immediately. A day later, they're up for sale at a massive markup. We've been doing this for years around Christmas with one toy or another. Furby, Tamagotchi, Beanie Babies, Tickle Me Elmo are but a few from my youth. Put Jingle All the Way on your Christmas movie list for a funny example and a great lesson with Arnold. Or, think of Dwight in the fifth season of The Office slinging princess unicorn dolls out of the back of his car. I wouldn't go crazy and buy up all the stock, but if I could end up with a free Xbox by selling a second at twice the price, Sign me up. Stand in line on a cold Canadian winter's night to go in at midnight and be part of the mob that empties out all stock from the store? I could do that. I'll take a second to give credit to my wife, who stuck it out with me in the bitter cold to then subway back home in the early morning hours. We bared the cold, waited in the long line, and went home with two Xboxes. I went to bed with every intent of putting the second Xbox up for sale the next evening. When the next day came, however... So did the realization the new system did not sell out. There was still stock on the shelves at the original MSRP. Not good for the scalping business of which I was now trying to get into. Nobody's going to pay twice the price to me, a stranger, when an established business is providing a better price and a better service. Guess I was out of luck. 
I wouldn't be getting a free Xbox. Better pick up a few more shifts to pay it down. What to do with the second system now? I can barely afford one, what am I going to do with the second? Well, the only reasonable course of action at that time was to return it. Talk about a walk of shame. As I brought the unopened box back to Best Buy, I had time to think during the subway ride and chilly walk from the station. Thought about how silly I felt to be returning the system. What would I say when asked, what's the reason for the return? I didn't want to lie. But was I brave enough to be honest and say, well, I couldn't sell it at a profit like I intended. I'd like to think I was. Maybe I wore the shame on my face. They chose not to ask. They knew, but they let me off the hook without any judgment passed. The receipt scanned, box next, card in the reader, and money returned to the account without much more than a, how can I help you, to start the conversation in a simple, Thank you to end it. I got out of my lost gamble with no expense to myself, imposing no additional expense on anyone else, and a lesson learned with the consequence being only a bruised ego. If you don't quite get why I felt uncomfortable in this situation, I'll expand a little. If the lesson is already obvious to you, sorry about the additional details. I'll cut to it. I felt guilty about having been willing to be an impediment to someone else's joy another barrier someone must face to experience magic. I thought of the possibility a parent could not stand in the overnight line to get the perfect Christmas gift for their child. As much as they wanted to be the hero, it was too grand of an ask. Had the Xbox indeed sold out as I projected it would, I would potentially be the person who took the very one off the shelf that prevents a loving parent from giving magic in a box as a gift. Only because I then turned around and put it out of reach. Made it too expensive, all so I could benefit at the expense of another, someone not so different from me. It's obviously unlikely I took the very one off the shelf. In fact, it's much more likely me buying one extra wouldn't make any type of overall impact. It's the justification we all use. What's one more anyway? If others are doing it, maybe I should too. If I don't do it, someone else will anyway. If we all think we're just one more and don't make a difference though, then of course it won't be different. What I failed to realize before I fully understood the lesson is you can be just one more. In the main case of this podcast episode, it's enough to be just one more person who does not buy more tickets than you actually plan to use, just so you can try to make a free night out of it for yourself. It comes at the cost of someone like you having to pay much more than they are comfortable with and far more than either of you feel is fair. They'd do it to you if the shoe were on the other foot, right? Still not reason enough to do it. Be part of the change you want to see in the world. I know you don't want to pay the very prices you are willing to charge. Some faceless person behind a username somewhere unknown can pay the price though. Realize you are also the faceless person at times. You don't like being in the position, so consider trying not to put someone else in it. No shame though for those who have engaged in the practice. Most of us have done something of this nature at some point or another. It's only failure if we don't learn and adapt. So, let's adapt. Try not to add any barriers to anyone else's pursuit of experiencing magic and hold strong on not paying inflated prices yourself. Even if it doesn't bring about any significant change, wouldn't you rather just not take part? If enough of us don't take part, then change becomes necessary. The market will dictate it. Know that just because the system is broken doesn't mean we all have to take advantage. We're only taking advantage of ourselves in the end while also sending more of our money into the pockets of corporations. So, maybe next time you're in the situation of having an opportunity, 
Think of who's being taken advantage of so you can take yours. Suppose it was you. Wouldn't you rather there be fewer hurdles to being able to find joy in engaging with the magical moments of life? If we're not taking part in it, then the game can't be rigged by those looking to profit. I don't want to be the one paying for my extravagant Vegas vacation because someone else was willing to pay my ludicrous markup on Adele tickets. I wouldn't feel comfortable covering my travel, hotel, era's tickets, and tailor merch haul from my profits on another's losses. I don't want to put an amazing bonding and motivating moment out of reach of anyone just so I can avoid work, building my fortune taking from those with less than myself. Thankfully, I also didn't get my opportunity to snuff out any Christmas magic back in 2013. Life is hard. Try not to make it harder on anyone else to make it slightly easier for you. It comes around. I really do wonder what Taylor's thoughts would be on the matter. Her voice holds tremendous power. How would the conversation go? I hope I at least left you thinking about it. Maybe it'll spark you to have a conversation with someone. Maybe it will start some change. Wouldn't you like a little change?